let's go. Okay. Thank you to everybody for coming, really. I appreciate it. Um, tonight, we're going to begin with a little bit of a recap of the past two shiurim in order to uh, better understand where we're holding tonight and why I chose this title for a shiur to speak about the Yotzer. So, in the last two shiurim, we introduced the idea of the the first bracha of of Berchus um, Kriyashma, and in the second share we discussed the kedusha of Kriyashma. Now, we learned that in the time of the Tanoim, or earlier, even in the time of the Beis Hamikdash, it is very likely and most likely that a bracha for Kriyashma existed. In fact, it is most likely that many brachas for Kriyashma existed. However, by the time of the Tanoim, the Tanoim set down the law that one should only say two brachot before Kriyat Shema. In their time, there still wasn't something called the Berchus HaMitzvah, so it didn't develop into Hashar Kedushanam because they didn't have that yet. However, the two most popular, most beautiful brachas that they chose were Yotzer Ar and Avat Olam. That's, that's the picture we got uh, from the first year. Yotzer Ar is a bracha on sunrise, the daylight, the creation. And Avat Olam is a kind of Birchas HaTorah, which introduces us to the saying of Shema Yisrael, which is a por- reading from a portion of Torah. Okay. It's likely that they said something like this in the Beit HaMikdash, and there were likely many other versions. The first evidence we had, I believe, for Yotzer are the, the first words are in the Gemara itself. The later words we have evidence for in, in other places. Right, so the Yotzer that we have today is greatly expanded. However, and I'll share my screen with you. Um, let me share the screen again. Here we go. The original version, at least according to many scholars, the original version of Yotzer is much shorter. Baruch Hashem, Elokeinu Achlam, Yotzer Or, Vorei Choshech, Oseh Shalom, Mohores, Kol Amir, Laris Adar, Nolay Barachamim, Rabim, Betuvah Mechadesh, Pachoyim Matonim, Maaseh Beishis, Baruch Hashem, Yotzer That is the entire bracha. Many scholars see this as the nucleus and the core, the original bracha of Yotzer But later, there was something added to the middle of Yotzer called the Kedusha. Now, that's what we discussed last week. Now, I oversimplified certain things, but the gist of it is some scholars see this as an expansion. A minority of scholars see this as a contraction. In other words, some see this as an abridgment. Now, this is just an abridgment for the longer Kedusha, and the longer one was always the longer Yotzer and the one that we have today was always the original. And yet most scholars see this as this is the original. The shorter one is the original and Kedusha was entered in. Why would you say Kedusha was put in to Yotzer Well, think about it. The whole topic of, of Kedusha of HaGadosh Baruch Hu and the holiness of Hashem has nothing to do with Yotzer on first glance. So if the Kedusha and the angels have nothing to do with Daybreak, why would it be in here? It seems like it's forcibly put in. And when you look at our um, Yotzer R, you indeed don't, you do, it's indeed that you do not see um, a direct correlation. Rather, in our version, we have an, we have a, an extra subrubric, which begins Marabu Masech Hashem, which transfers from the creation of daytime um, into the general creation of all things. And then it goes on to bridge into a discussion of all of, of the angels, etc. So, I want to understand tonight uh, more than just the Kedusha and to understand all of the parts of Yotzer R. 
Another thing I wanted to recap from last week is that, and this is because I found something this week that I wanted to, to go into, is that because there's this disunion between the topic of daybreak and the sun and the moon, and the topic of, uh, and the topic of the malachim, many believed that it came from the mikubalim and the mystics and the Hasidim who believed in the idea of the Yeridat Hamerkava, the idea of going down into the the celestial spheres or the the vision of the chariot. So what I didn't know was that in one of the versions of the Seder of Amram, this is the the, the one of the first Hidurim published by Amram Gaon in roughly the 8th or ninth century. In one of the versions, uh, there's an interpolation where one of the scribes added that the he adds a sort of medrash. And in the medrash, it says, I wonder if I have time to share it tonight. Uh, I do not. But in the medrash, it says how much a Kaddish Baruch who likes the Kedusha. And look at how the Yerdei Merkava, those who descended into the vision of the chariot, how they taught us to say the Kedusha. So many scholars, as we saw last week, understood the Kedusha to be something invented by the mystics and pushed into the bracha. So now which mystics are we talking about? Are we talking about Mekubalim that are really ancient or are we talking about Mekubalim in the time of the Gaonim? That was also a discussion. Maybe it was the Essenes, this the, the the mystical sect that we know from the from the Dead Sea, right? The Dead Sea Scrolls. Maybe it was the Gaonim from, from the, the mystics in the time of the Gaonim and Bavel, who also were very into ideas like the Heichalot and wrote chapters on visions of the angels. What we what we what we noted last week is that there's been a pushback on this. Perhaps, if you think about it, many in many places in Shas we talk about the malachim and we talk about things that go on in Shemayim, and it's not re- really mystical. The Gemara doesn't always talk about things that happen in Shemayim as if it's like super Kabbalah. So maybe it's it's possible that the Chachamim who composed Yotzer are. Uh, or and put the kedusha in. We're not doing it for mystical purposes, and they themselves weren't mystical. That's also a real possibility, and we also don't know exactly. Um, we cannot say, based on that timeline, that it was definitely done in the time of the senes or definitely done in the time of the gaonim. It's possible that it wasn't mystical at all. And even if you were going to say that it's mystical, we don't know exactly when the sefer yecholis were written, so it's very difficult to date to date that the section of kedusha. Now, to better understand. What we I want to, uh, what's it called? What I want to discuss tonight is that I want to go piece by piece and understand the bracha of Yotzer on a deeper level. So if we look here, I'm going to pull up a sheet here that I called, I, I created this sheet last week. I call this divided by subrubric. That's, that's the, just the, the, the PDF I created for everybody's ease of use. Um, give me a second to share my screen. Uh, wow, there we go. Okay, so this is the bracha of Yotzer R. Section one, subrubric one, right, is the first half of Rav Sadia. And the last half is also the main, the main sections of the bracha. Everything in between is extra. Let's look at the first part. Number two. Just a pasuk from Tehillim. That's a bridge. Because originally you're talking about the, uh, sorry, about the creation of the sun and the moon. And suddenly you want to start talking about the angels. So in order to bridge that, you have to give a general statement. How great are all of your creations, God? Then it, it, it continues that theme in another sentence, which is not a pasik. Right? The king who ruled since he created the entire world and who's been the exalted ruler uh, from ancient times. 
Then number four is very strange, but it exists in almost every single version of Yotzer Ar that we have, going back to the most ancient manuscripts we have. Contains some form of petition. For some reason, the the people who composed this sentence decided that this was an appropriate place to add a petition to Hashem, a tachina, supplication. Adiyama said we don't know why. The commentators speculate that perhaps the the creation of the moon is known to be a creation of mercy, right? The creation of the sun and moon. Hashem understood that uh, the Medrash says that Hashem created the world with din, and then he saw it couldn't survive, so he added rachamim. And this is represented in the in the creation of the sun and the moon and the renewal of the moon. Perhaps it's trying to say that the celestial spheres were created with, with rachamim, and therefore we should get a supplication. This is what the commentators more recently have have been speculating. But till today, we don't really know why there's a tachina in middle of in middle of Yotzar. Number four is a piyot. This is literally a poetic expansion, which we'll discuss in a minute. Then you have number six is Tisparach Hashem We have two sections which begin Tisparach. This is also somewhat poetic, and it's an introduction to the, it's a, sorry, a, a passage into the full introduction to the Kedusha. The introduction to the Kedusha is really the assembly of the angels. And in the versions we have today, as you see, I've highlighted many of the, the entire sentence is built around the word kulam. Kulam olam, kulam burim, kulam giborim, kulam osim So we have this poetic section which seems to focus on the word kulam. The version we have today is very expanded, but um, we see this idea uh, from very from much older times. Then we have the section of the Ophanim. As we discussed last week, there's been this linkage between the, what the Malachim, the, the higher Malachim say, and the Ophanim. This, this linkage has been there since at least the time of the Tosefta. The Tanoim at least understood that there was a relationship that when the Malachim said Kadosh, 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 they were followed by the Ofanim when they said Baruch Vodashem Im Komo. It says this in the Gemara, it says this in the Tosefta. So this so so uh, this so-called response of the Malachim was well known in the time of the Tanoim. Finally, we have a closing with Al-Kel Baruch Nilmatutenu and Machadish Pituvel Chalyom Tamid Maaseh Bereshit which is a way to bring us back to the original beginning of the bracha. Okay. Okay, that's what we have for now. Now, one last thing I wanted to show you was that there were other versions of Yotzer R. However, not all of them survived. Now, the core text, the core, uh, how should I say, the, the core idea of Yotzer R, the way we have it, existed. But in the time of, of the Paitanim of Eretz Yisrael, there were versions of Yotzar which were simply poetic and had a completely different version. And it's things like this that I actually wanted to, to discuss tonight. Look just here as an example. It's a good introduction. This is from the Revue de Tu Juif in 1907. Um, I couldn't find the actual uh, uh, manuscript in time, so I'm just showing this here. Uh, here we have Yotzar called Or Olam, Or Tzer Chaim, Orot Meofel, Omer Vayihi, Asher Berof just like, uh, uh, if you recall, just like Kel Baruch this is also an alphabetic acrostic. And, and the next part is Gefen Mitzrayim, because that's, uh, we'll discuss next week, Gefen Mitzrayim, which is from Avat Olam. Okay. So what in the world is going on here? Why is there a different version of Yotzer R? So 
to understand this, to understand how to understand how Yotzer are developed into the expanded version we have today, one has to understand the very early history of Piyot itself. Now, Piyot or Jewish hymnography, and we're not going to go in depth tonight because we simply don't have time. But Jewish hymnography itself is a is really a branch of Jewish poetry. Jewish poetry, of course, if we take it in the global sense, in, in the in the sorry, in, in the in the secular sense, if we take if we take the idea of Jewish poetry, Jewish poetry goes back millennia to biblical times. So all the way from the from Navi, we have poetry uh, all over Tanakh from the from the earliest Sfarim in Tanakh we find poetry. However, after biblical times, Jewish poetry also lived both in Hebrew and in other languages, such as Aramaic, in the secular form as well. Now, while we have a lot of information from the 12th century and the 13th century about the great renaissances of, of Jewish poetry and Jewish piyot from those eras, what's much less well-known and much less well-understood is the poetic, the poetic um, explosions that occurred in the 3rd, 4th, and 5th centuries, which is, you know, th almost uh, 16... 1700 years ago but from the very limited evidence that we have a lot of this stuff is really re um copies of copies and 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 remnants of papyri um but from the earliest evidence we have uh, archaeological evidence that is it seems that poetry was a very um big part of jewish culture both in israel and in babylonia and jews wrote poetry for all sorts of occasions for dirges and elegies for, for uh, <clears throat> times of uh, joy, times of sadness. Many of them were secular. Many of them were just, in a sense, not liturgical whatsoever. And most of them, as far as we could tell, were written in the, in the colloquial Aramaic of their time. Now, it's very difficult in a culture that we live in today in 2024. It, it, for my peers, at least, that we live in, a, in America or if you live in Israel or wherever you live today, most Western countries are not heavily into poetry today. That's not part a deep part of our culture. But imagine you took an alien, you brought him down to earth, and you said, listen to this music, and he doesn't understand why it's pleasurable. In the same vein, there's a, a large number of people who can hear or, or read poetry, and they might not understand anything pleasurable about reading or hearing poetry. It's, it's just not on your wavelength. Now, there are cultures like in India today where people are still into this, but the vast majority of people are simply not into it. If it doesn't have a, a melody behind it, it's not music. A lot of people really aren't into poetry, but many people, and many people being a small, a small minority of the global population, but again, many people love poetry, and it's for them, poetry is a great pleasurable activity, and it's, it's, it's a tremendous part of culture and art uh, for a lot of people today. However, because most people in my in my, in at least in my peer group don't really understand this it's just going to take a little bit more explaining now in their times in the times of the 5th and 6th century uh even the 4th century we find that a lot of this uh poetry began to move into the synagogue and the leaders of the congregations in the synagogues were more than just prayer leaders many of them were there to entertain. They were there to make the prayers less boring, to put it simply. And I'm just uh, here, if you're wondering what this still is, this is uh, an ancient shul in Golan Heights, and the Golan Heights called Ein Kishatot. It's one of the most, it's very fascinating. It's like a fifth or 
or fourth, I think it's fifth or sixth century synagogue that only got destroyed in like the year 749 from an earthquake. They reconstructed all the bricks that had fallen down. But this kind of synagogue would be very, uh, would, would be quite representative of a synagogue in, in Eretz Yisrael in, the, in, that, in that era. And when people would come to shul, for many of them, the standardized prayer was not enough. It wasn't enough. It wasn't exciting enough. And the chazanim were more than just cantors. They were also cantor poets. They were there to spruce up the tefillah, and they were there to also give a poetry reading of sorts. They were there to embellish the tefillah with a holy form of poetry, a liturgical poetry, or what we would know as a hymn or um, hymnography of their of their kind. So this developed kind of slowly, and it developed very much native. What a lot of people don't understand about early Jewish poetry is that early Jewish poetry is natively Jewish. There's at, at least the uh, the way many scholars put this is that early Jewish poetry from the what we call the pre-classical era, the classical era of Jewish poetry is natively Hebrew. It's natively Jewish. There's not very much influence from other cultures into Jewish hymnography or Jewish poetry. Most of the development and the evolution of how the poetry and the art form evolved was very much native. It happened internally. It wasn't done from with external sources. It wasn't like one day the Greeks invented rhyme and then we're like, oh, what a great idea. We'll rhyme also. That's not exact. Well, nobody invented rhyme. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you an example. But it's not like Jewish poetry saw a lot of external influence. Most of the influence of, of the poetry that we see in early Piot is very much internal. Now, these early Paitanim, let's call them, uh, to periodize, the pre-classical Paitanim. So let's say you take Paitanim from the 3rd, 4th, 5th centuries. These were people writing Putim and the really earliest genres of Putim. So let's, let's give, let me give you an example of the earliest genres of Jewish liturgy, of Jewish uh, hymnography. So one of the earliest examples would be the Seder HaAvod Yom Kippur. The Seder HaVod Yom Kippur is one of the earliest poetic forms that we have. And some of the earliest poetry that we have in the uh, poetry, but some of the earliest piyot that we have in the Jewish repertoire of liturgy comes from the Seder HaVodah. Or if you take the Azharot or the Silichot, some of those early, early forms are, are representative of a very early prose-like poetry. We even find remnants of this type of poetry in some of our earliest liturgies, like Aleinu L'Shabeach L'Adon HaKol, which uh, is from the Shmon Esrei. Already in the time of the Amorayim, we find this type of piyot being done by the chazanim of their time, people who are on the level of composing and doing readings in middle of a Shmon Esrei and composing new things for a new Shmon Esrei. This was, it's standard. If you look in the Gemara, it's very clear, in both the Talmud Bavli and the Talmud Yerushalmi, it's very clear that the chazanim pr uh, prided themselves with being able to compose and deliver a new type of prayer every time. It had to be halakhically um, uh, acceptable. It had to conform with the standardized prayer. And there was a standard formula. But as long as you could de deviate within the halakhic strictures, this was appreciated by people because people loved the poetry. They loved taking the liturgy to the next level. And this was something that appealed to the masses or appealed at least to the educated masses. Okay, now one of the earliest forms of poetry, once you move past the 3rd and 4th century, one of the earliest forms of piot that we find of uh, liturgical poetry is the Yotzros. The Yotzros are, as it sounds, a type of piot which embellishes 
the bracha of Yotzer R. The bracha of Yotzer R itself had a fixed uh, liturgy. However, because it has a climax inside of it, where the angels come together and the angels sing to God, it's a perfect uh, ground for the development. It's a perfect uh, breeding ground for the development of more advanced poetry. And that is one of the earliest places that we find um, that we find such poetry. Now, a lot of that style of early, early poetry uh, is familiar to most uh, Jewish people who have prayed a lot, but they might not be aware that they're familiar with those early styles. A lot of these early styles, and I don't want to get too technical, because especially I'm not a highly technical uh, analyst of poetry, but a lot of these early forms don't contain rhyme. These early poets, and I'm going to give an example here on the screen, these early poets from the early, what we call the pre-classical era, they liked tone. They liked rhythm. They liked simple meters. They also liked alliteration, which is when you have a repetition of equal consonants. They liked alphabetic acrostics. Um, they didn't really delve too deep in illusions. They liked symbols, but an illusion, like to allude to a midrash, uh, not really. That came a little bit later. They didn't do sophisticated types of meter. They really didn't seem to use rhyme very much. And it's not like they didn't use rhyme because they didn't understand rhyme. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to invent rhyme. They didn't use rhyme because they just didn't like that poetic adornment. To, adornment. to them, that wasn't like perfect rhyme or even half rhymes at the end of a sentence. Wasn't That's not like, if you talk to someone who, who's a real poet or a real uh, fan of poetry, perfect rhyme is a very cheap form of, of poetry. To them, that's not like always the the pinnacle of poetic achievement to give a perfect rhyme. So for them, they were developing all of their own poetry <clears throat> themselves. And some of this we're very familiar with. While biblical poetry is beautiful, like uh, let's say, like beautiful alliteration and beautiful prose, this kind of poetry begins to take on the form of stanzas and quatrains and tercets and alphabetic acrostics, and we f start to see an art form be born. Now, here's just an example on my screen, in case, in case you've never seen it this way. We find here, just as an example, a very simple, um, a very simple poem. Or if you have These beautiful, simple, early um, uh, early poems that became a fixed part of our tefillah. Achim Unavadu is one of the earliest, but it's a form of silicha. And this is really, we don't see any rhyme at the end, but we see the understanding of tone and music and rhythm that they employ when they, what that they employed when they, when they wrote these words. And even the power that they, that, that the language has without too much illusion, without too much fancy, without too many fancy things. The words in and of themselves are powerful, and in and of themselves are beautiful. You don't need uh, too much pomp and circumstance in order to make it better uh, better to understand. But when it comes to the piot of the Yotzer, and I'm just sharing this breakdown here. I don't know if uh, this is going to work with this. Here, let me try to do this. Okay. So when it comes to the Yotzer, originally with the Yotzer, very simple poems were added to the Yotzer. So you had things that were like a simple quatrains or one or two poems added into the Yotzer. And then over time, it developed into a more and more sophisticated body up until a point 
where on a weekday, when I shouldn't say on a weekday, but on a day when they didn't say Kedusha on Eretz Yisrael, right? In the weekdays, for example, when they said Yotzar, they didn't say Kedusha, only on Shabbat. So if they were going to do, let's say, Purim or Hanukkah, which doesn't have Kedusha, they were going to write a poem, uh, they were going to write a Yotzer, so to speak, a Marechata Yotzer. They were going to write a, a bunch of poems for the, for the Bracha of Yotzer R. They were going to add five, they developed into five official sections. And each section has its own, you know, features. One section is going to be an acrostic. One of them is going to be a terset. The other one's going to be a quatrain. One of them is going to be this and this and then three psukim. It, it, it eventually evolved into a set fixed art form. It took about 200 years, but it did happen. And then on Shabbat, they would add two extra. So it wouldn't be five sections. It would be seven sections. Uh, sorry, I think it was five to eight. They would also do a Me'orah. They would do a, uh, I think, a Micha Mocha. So, and a Zulat. They added the Zulat for Shabbat as well. And I'm showing here on my screen, if anybody's interested, just the, um, uh, borrowed from Wikipedia, the seven different sections of, this. these are the seven different types of poems that are in a Yotzer. Today, if you speak to an Ashkenazi person, he says, oh, Yaitzis? I know what Yaitzis are because the, the Ashkenazim call all Piyot Yaitzis. But in truth, when you say Yotzerot, you mean, the technical term means a Yotzer, which is written for um, a, a, a poetic uvra, a poetic portfolio written for the bracha of Yotzer art. Now, why is this so important? I took a nice long tangent to get all the way here and tell you about how in the 5th and 4th centuries, the Jewish poets were, the Jewish cantor poets, really, the Chazanim, were developing uh, additions for the bracha of Yotzar when we said a Kedusha and when we didn't say a Kedusha. This is important because when you look at our modern version of Yotzar, almost all of it are the remnants of early forms of Yotzar. Now, these poetic forms that we find in our Yotzar can be easily compared to much earlier forms of, so, so to not much, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say much earlier, but similar and parallel forms of the Yotz, of Yotzeris in the Kyrogeniza that was dug up over the past 125 years by now, 100 more. So essentially, what I want to do is I want to show you some of the research done by Ezra Fleischer, just to give you an idea of how the Yotzer in front of us developed. So first of all, if you just mentally think about a bracha like Kel Baruch Kedol, uh, not a bracha, a piyot, like Kel Baruch Kedol Deah, if you take a piyot like that, it ends Kivod Kelu Kedushato, which means that it's an introduction for the Kedusha, right? The end of it, if you look at the last words, I'm sorry, let me let me pull up the, the subrubric again just so that I can say this properly. Um, I'm sorry, I have Shabbat open. Let me do the regular one. It says at the end of Kel Baruch, it says, Pinot Tzivaav Kidoshim, Romame Shakai Tamid Speaking about the angels, they all speak of God's, uh, God and his holiness. It's clearly an introdu introduction to the Kedusha. Now, if that's true, if you think about it for just three seconds, you'll realize that Kel Baruch was written for Shabbat. It wasn't written for the weekday because. It's definitely written in Eretz Yisrael. And in Eretz Yisrael, they only said Kedusha on Shabbat. The Yotzer R only had a Kedusha on Shabbat. And just by the style of Kel Baruch we know just from its style that these are from the early cantor poets of Eretz Yisrael because the early cantor poets of Babel were non-existent. They didn't have Piyot in Babel. So this was clearly written in Eretz Yisrael, and it's clearly um, a composition for the Shabbat. 
Now, it must have be- resonated with people. It must have been beautiful enough that they wanted to say it every day. And it must be that once the Jews of Eretz Yisrael started saying Kedusha, not just on Shabbat, but also on weekday, just like their brethren from uh, Bavel, <clears throat> once they started saying the Kedusha every day of Yotzar, they carried along with them Kel Baruch It must be that of all the different versions that we have, like I just showed you Asher Barov Chochma, for just as an example, of all the different versions they had, which were simple alphabetic acrostic poems, they chose Lekel is the one that they liked the most. Now, let me see if I can um, share my screen with you. Give me one second. Yeah. I'm going to share my screen just for a second to do justice uh, to Ezra Fleischer. If anybody wants to continue this research. Oh, I don't have the... I'm sorry, I didn't have the right book uh, posted here. But Ezra Fleischer has a book called Hayyotzeris. And I'm sorry, especially for the recording. The book here is available on Magnus Press. It's called Hayyotzeris Betabutamu Betabutamu Essentially, the Yotzeros in their development. He wrote a, 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 an extremely important book on the development of the Yotzeros. And he also wrote a separate, uh, very important book on, on the development of the liturgy, which I just showed in Eretz Yisrael. Now, on his book, in his book on Yotros, he has a whole section just analyzing the various poems that they found in the Kairogeniza for the Shabbat that was written by these early poets. And I just want to show you some of the most fascinating stuff from this from this book. To begin with, let's start with one of the earliest poems that we all know of, Lakela Asher Shabbat, Nikola Maasim. I hope everybody can see my screen here because um, we're just going to browse the book together. Right, If you look here, Ezra Fleischer is a poetry genius, so he, he separates everything by quatrain. This is the original version. Our version today is truncated. But from the Geniza, we could see clearly this was the original full version of this poem. It's a quatrain with five stanzas. That's essentially how, how you put it. Finally, it ends. It begins with this whole um, praise of God. And then it ends with what the actual day. Right? The seventh day praises and sings. What a lot of people don't know is that this is one of seven piyutim. Meaning... There are seven brother and sister piyutim to this piyut, and each one says, V'yom hasheni mishabeach ve'omer. Right? V'yom hashlishi mishabeach ve'omer. And we found these in the Karaganiza. Here's the one for Thursday, just as an example. Um, let me go up here to the one for the for the sixth day, for Friday. And finally, at the end, just as an example, V'yom hashishi mishabeach ve'omer, Hashem malach yot lavesh. Every other day, of the every day, every day of the week, they had a separate one. And over time, I mean, uh, Elbogen discovered this already in the late, the early 1900s. He discovered the one from Thursday. But over time, Esther Fleischer, from digging through every every section of the Geniza for, for, throughout the globe, uncovered one for Monday, uncovered one for Tuesday, and he basically rebuilt many of the sections of of the. Um, of uh, many of the brothers and sisters for that piyut. Also, we have here Asher Barov Chokma Gidulad Derash Hechin Beitkin Ziv Chamato Tipecha Yemino Chovei Levana. This is essentially identical to what we have today, 
of the Kel Baruch It's just a different version. And for some reason, Kel Baruch rhymed better. Was more. It was more um, pleasing to the ears of the congregants, and therefore it stuck with them. Uh, he also shows a picture here of one of the more important. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, manuscripts that they found miraculously found, and here also Tishuashlema Rokidoshim is a is a continuation, which is instead of Aleph to Tuf, it's from Tuf to to Aleph. It's the it's the reverse acrostic, which continues from uh, how, how am I supposed to say it? Uh, now next here he he points out that in the Seder of Sadia Gaon in the Seder of Sadia Gaon, Sadia Gaon puts Kelber in the Sidur. And then he says, also, some people say this instead, right? Instead of Kel Adon Asim on Shabbat, they say Kel Adir Bamarom. And Rav Sadia Gaon gives a completely different piyot, meaning in the time of Rav Sadia Gaon, people already understood that Kel Baruch is an addition to, to Yotzer R. Or on Shabbat, when instead we say Kel Adon um, you could add an alternative. In the time of the Gaonim, this was still understood that you could just add an alternative. Some people like this one, some people like that one. And so here's just one of those, Kel Adir Bamarom. Uh, is there anything else here I wanted to show? Uh, Azishir Patsu is one of the important uh, things that he uses for for uh, for teaching exactly how the how the how the poetry developed. But essentially, some of the features you'll see with these uh, piyutim is that they have a stress that, in the sense that the chazanim ended up wanting to involve the kila, they wanted the kila to be involved. So there are points in these yotzrot where there are pauses, and if you have to study it, you have to realize that when you look at the text, the way it's built is so that the chazan could involve the congregation. They're not going to know what his next line of poetry is going to be, right? But they know what they, they know what the standard formula is. They know the, the rest of the uh, of Baruch Hashem Yotzer HaMarot, or they might know the Pasuk Kiba uh, uh, Kumiori. They might know the Pasuk, pasuk Marabu Masecha Hashem. And therefore, there are pauses and breaks within the poetic uh, system in order to allow the people to join with the chazan. And that's something that's easily demonstrated when you look at the earlier forms of, of the Yotzer R. And in some of the early versions in Eretz Yisrael, um, you'll find that they have uh, in the in the a lot of the a lot of the um, earliest uh, manuscripts will ha will have like put in the side as if it's like oh if it's optional if you want say this so um okay this is just the ben Ezra synagogue where they found the karaganiza okay now let's move on to the last part of because we're we have five minutes left the last part of the um of yotzer art so the last part of that's clearly a poetic uh it's a, it's in a sense a way to end the section of the kedusha with a very very simple poetic ending in order to bring back from the topic of kedusha you have to circle back to the original topic what was the original topic um, you cannot have a bracha end with a different topic than it started it has to begin the bracha has to end with the same topic that it began with so the meora section the lokel baruch motitenu is clearly a very early way of bridging back from the Yotzer R topic and bringing ourselves back home to the idea of the R and the, and the creation of light. Now, one of the earliest forms we have of that is, uh, let me, 
uh, I don't say this every day, so forgive me if, I, if, if, if it escapes my mind. The Sfardim don't say this. But after Ka'amura or Kilam Chasto, the Ashkenazim will say, Or Hadash al Tzion Ta'ir, a new light you should sign, a shine on Tzion. Viniske Kulanu Meherale Oro. And we should all be Zoche to uh, bask, to, um, to bask in its light. Now, what happened with this is that this seems to be a poetic way of bridging ourselves back to the concept of R, of light. In the Yeshivos in Babel, um, in the Yeshivos in Babel, they clearly had this minhag. We have a tshuva, and I'm going to show you here. My uh, This is the Shibole Haleket, um, the Sefer of Shibole Haleket from Rebzitzika Rofei. In it, there's a tshuva from Rashi Ragon, where he says that in both yeshivot, Suran Pupadita, Suran Arda, our minhag is to say this. Even though Sadi Gaon came along and said, don't say this, even in his lifetime, while he was Rosh Hashiva, nobody listened to him. Why? Because this is our Nusach. <laughs> what was Sadi Gaon's problem? Sadi Gaon's like, what are you talking about? The beginning talks about the R that Hashem created in Sheshit Meber. It's talking about the, the R that we enjoy every day. Not just really, okay, and really in his words, it's the, the light that Hashem created every day. Why are you ending the bracha with an R that Hashem is going to give in the future? We're not talking about the R in the future. That was his critique. Now, being conservatives in the yeshiva Zimbabwe, they don't want to change a thing. They liked that Gersa. They thought that was part of the original Nusach. They wouldn't budge. But many of the post-game, especially the Sfaradim, um, and even the, the French, a lot of the northern French, did not say for this reason. And I just wanted to show you to share my screen with you some of the very oldest manuscripts in the Geniza. This one here, I don't know if you can make it out, but um, this one here is here. Look here. It says Adon Haniflot, Borei Rufot, Ose Hadashot, Mechadesh Puvo, Bahoyim Tamid Masebreshit, Or Hadash Al Tzion Tair, Kadavarshin Amar, Oserim Gdolim Kilam Hasobor Hatashem, Yotzer Hamarot. This is a very ancient Gersa. This is not something made up. So there's different defenses in the Rishonim. Some of the Rishonim say, well, what it's saying is that Hashem should take that light that he created in the Sheshit Meabrashis and shine it upon us again when Mashiach comes. That's one idea. The Rush and the Rakeach have a different idea. They say, no, it's talking about the Medrash, the, the Gemara and Medrash. Hold on, I'm trying to remember this is a Chagiga, where the Gemara says in Yubeis, and says that Hashem created an R in during Sheshit Meabrashis which is too powerful for people to enjoy. And he was gonezet for tzaddikim. Hashem hid away this light that he created in the time of Sheshmei For the future, it's an arganos, a light hidden for the tzaddikim. So the defense of the Rishonim is that this brought, that this closing of Ar Chadash al Ta'ir is talking about the Ar Hashem created in Sheshmei However, he's going to bring it back in the future. One of the arguments against saying Ar Chadash al Ta'ir is actually that... Um, one of the arguments against it, I'm sorry, we're actually about to start, Kadisha. I have to pause the recording. One second. Just, just to end with this, one of the count, one of the arguments against saying uh, against saying is that why would you put the, the topic of Mashiach inside the Baruch Yotzer R? Why are we talking about that here? The counter argument is that we say in Agila even in Avat Olam. So clearly the idea of Mashiach being put into Yotzer R is very early, and clearly it does have some place that it belongs. That's the counter-argument. But we've ran, run out of time before they're going to discuss Arvit. Next week we'll discuss Avat Olam or Ahavar Avat, depending on what camp you're in, and we will um, 
See y'all next week.